hey, hey, hey. <laughs> How's everyone doing today? Ooh, this is episode 17 of Making Sparkles, a podcast about not making the musical Sparkle Pony Bear, but instead currently working on the instrumental work, The Book of Arius. <clears throat> uh, so, where we left off, I had a third pass of a song that I had sent to the music supervisor, the esteemed lovely Kaylee Drain. Uh, I kind of explained a little bit about the workflow in this episode. Oh, and I also kind of shared the first pass of the segment two. So today is going to get into the nitty gritty. This is the exciting part. So... <laughs> <laughs> I did all the hard work and tried to figure out my pipeline so I could explain it. So hopefully you don't have to go through the same problems I was having or still tweaking and having. But anyway, so I'm going to kind of discuss pipeline. I'm going to discuss going from a logic created movement um, to scoring it in notation software such as Finale. And then having that in live time reinterpreted by the same settings in Logic so you have a more accurate readout of how everything will sound once you start adding dynamic markers like crescendos, um, dots, commas, accent marks, the full Monty. Um, the key word is key switches. So if you don't know what a key switch is, Oh boy, baby, oh baby, you're in for a treat. Um, I'm also going to share what the MIDI-generated finale score sounds like. Uh, the intro, you heard the very tail end of it. Um, it You can kind of hear that the dynamics come out a little bit more. Um, we'll also talk about some of the limitations and some of the issues I've run into with that. Um, we'll talk about the score itself that was created, and we'll talk about next steps. Um, but before we get into all of that, let's talk about the project as a whole and, and what is happening with the Book of Arius. And what is happening with that good old Book of Arius? So, so just because I love recapping, because it's a way of me vamping. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm saying right before I say it. Ah! Okay. Whew, girl. Okay. So, Book of Arius, it's 13 segments that tells the story of three individuals from three entirely separate points in time, all existing and sharing and interacting in the same dream. And, and the story unfolds that all of them have this repressed memory. So the journey is all three of them in three separate points of time interacting in this dream to figure out what their repressed memories are and what they mean. This we've already kind of covered. Uh, last episode, I, I further refined um, it into a more cohesive structure. So 13 segments. Uh, seg with four segments per act, not including the very last segment. So you've got an act one, two, three 
each act is basically four segments, songs long. Um, and then the final 13th is the big reveal, the big blah. Um, so <laughs> I have vacillated since the very beginning on whether or not there would be singers in this. And then in the last episode, I was more leaning towards, oh, there'll be singers with just one of the four segments per act being instrumental, and then segments two through four, you know, or, you know, er, four, three of the four segments per act would be sung. I have finally stayed away from that. I think the more I listen to my own work and what I enjoy and what I pull from, um, I just don't feel like singers are right for this. Um, because it's such an autobiographical piece, I started realizing fairly quickly last week that my entire Spotify playlist and everything I listen to is non-English speakers. <laughs> so I love Japanese rock music. I love Korean hip-hop music. <laughs> um, and I, I think I've explained that I talked about this before. And I, I was really, and I like it because phonetically and and just their technique technique. I mean, these these musicians are just fucking unreal. Um, one example is a band a Japanese a Japanese rock band called Mrs. Green Apple. And it's kinda like what you would expect Queen to be in a more modern era. Um, obviously the Japanese band is supposed to be a little bit more pop, but I it just if you listen to them you'll see like the techniques and the musicianship is so strong. And I started realizing I didn't really give a fuck what they were saying. I just liked it. And that becomes a problem when you are a composer wanting to write for singing, for voice. Because part of the voice, it's all about the lyrics. It's about what you're actually singing. If I'm melodically drawn to the tones and not to the actual prose, I just don't feel like I'm going to do this justice if I have people come in and sing. Also, I think this is about maturity and development. I think that this is about learning your strengths and weaknesses, learning from past experiences. I feel like bringing singers into my own project always muddies the water. Um, I feel like I think in my, in my past as a producer, I've always, as a producer, I've always worked on other people's songs. So they come into it with a level of dedication and passion that allows me to get in deep into the well with them. Unfortunately, when it comes to my work, trying to find a singer that can get beyond themselves and get into the well with me on my work is a very different scenario. And, and nine times out of 10, and no real fault to them, it's just the way, it's just the cost of doing business. Um, those lines always get blurred, they get burnt out, they don't understand, and, and rightfully so, because they're not the ones creating this. So, so I, I have decided to completely omit 
um, any singers from this project. I think that keeping it purely instrumental is great. I think the other component is a little unknown fact about me is that I actually dabble a lot in animation. <laughs> I love getting stoned and making my little animations. And I, I've shared some of those. And, and again, youtube.com slash tccrosser. Sorry, my mic. Because my hands move, my hands move wildly. I'm definitely a producer conductor because my hands are always animated, and I'm knocking over my mic. Uh, so if you go to you, my YouTube channel, T C C R O S S E R, uh, you'll see a lot of the animations and music videos I've done, and that's actually me. I, I've actually created those. Uh, so I thought what would be fun is, oh, well, if I'm already doing this, this is purely autobiographical, then then this will be fun. So. So this kind of brings us a little bit more into the workflow. So since I kind of realized working with singers for this, it's just this project means too much to me and I don't want to involve, I just, I don't want to involve singers in it. I, I think that it, that that's the end statement. It's just, it's just too much work. Um, I'll save working with singers for other people's work when I'm producing. <laughs> Or if a singer comes to like a half-baked song and hires me to work on it with them, that's fine. But but my own stuff, I just, I don't know. I, I, I've i had too many negative experiences and it's just too time-consuming and for, for the little reward you get at the end of the day. So that's that. Moving forward. Um, <clears throat> knowing that this is instrumental, knowing that I want to kind of do my own little music videos, it all of a sudden kind of frees up not only my timeline, um, but also resource management. It means that I can work on these songs and pump out these songs however I see fit through consultation with Kaylee, and then later on start working on music videos and, and different visual components and releasing them not in tandem necessarily, but when I see fit. So it's kind of like following the same rock music model of working on the album, putting out an EP, and then putting out a music video, and then releasing the full album. It, that kind of format I, I think would be really unique, and I'm kind of interested to kind of dabble in that paradigm a little bit and see. Um, so because of that, um, and as we get into the nitty gr gritty, you'll kind of see why this makes more sense. But so the idea is with segment one, at least is we've done three full passes before scoring anything. And, and I think this was really important for me because it allowed me to kind of just get out what I was saying without looking at the notes on the page. I think if you're a composer and you're looking at the notes on the page, you're immediately judging yourself and you're going, oh, that's too repetitive or, oh, I should really give this instrument more because it seems like they're going to get bored. Whereas if you keep everything in logic and you're not looking at the actual score that you're generating, um, there's a buffer. It, it allows you to kind of be a little bit more egotistical about how it sounds and how it feels. Um, I think a lot of musicians, composers forget that it isn't just about yourself, it's about the audience. And I think there's a lot of things that go into music that an audiophile or composer like gets very, very in the weeds about but at the end of the day, the person that's listening to this is listening to it on their iPhone with iPhone headphones. And 
I'm not saying they're not sophisticated. It's just your brain only remembers so much. Um, I think there was like there was one one mentor uh, producer that kind of explained. Typically, you only really gravitate towards the beginning, the end, and you kind of remember the chorus, and, and the verses are always going to be a little washy. Um, and I think with instrumental music, that's even more kind of the key point, is it's kind of an, an in-real-time experience. If you're repeating for good reason, and you're just trying to get someone to remember a point, that's one thing. If you're If you're needlessly rearranging um, melody lines because you're afraid that they sound repetitive, you have to ask yourself, well, is repetitive a bad thing or not? It's also where dynamics come in as well. And I think that's where dynamics kind of save your ass a little bit. So taking all of that, <laughs> so the hopeless segment one was, so, and I'll get it, and again, uh, well, fuck it, you already heard that part. But once... So I have a score done. So I've sent the score off to Kaylee, who's actually a very, she's an accomplished award-winning cellist. So Kaylee's looking at the score now. She's going to be looking to see music viability. So double-checking to make sure I feel like all the instruments can play this. She's going to double-check to make sure that the instruments can play this. She's going to double-check the, the dynamic markings because how I think a dynamic marking should be reflected isn't always going to be what a musician is. Once we go through that back and forth, um, then my hope is to actually go in the studio with a string quartet just to record segment one. Um, I don't know moving forward if we will have separate sessions per segment um, because that would get quite costly, I feel. But I think it's, I really want just segment one to go in the studio with and kind of take my time a little bit, just as kind of like keep the training wheels on. Um, I think all of my experiences with, so even with string players, has always been revolved around a, a band or a much larger budget or a project that was way more cohesive. Even my instrumental work, I had everything kind of locked in before I brought them in. The, this time it's a little bit fluid, which I enjoy, but because it's fluid, I don't want to, I don't want to have to completely reinvent the wheel. So there's a couple of things I want to test out. And so, and the podcast will be exciting because then we can kind of talk and explore those, those little moments. So again, we've done some passes in logic just to generate the overall sound. Then I went into my notation software finale and I spent, I think it took about 16 man hours uh, just to score it out. Um, my scores are not always the easiest to extrapolate. <laughs> uh, and then after I did that, then I replug them into my logic board. And so I can kind of hear, um, and then I spent an additional like eight hours, man hours, just rebuilding the dynamic markers. There were tons of breaks in between. So I don't really know if those are accurate numbers on how much time was spent on the scoring dynamic marking side, but it... It, it roughly kind of amounted to that much work um, because again, the score is the blueprint. So if it's not in the score, a, a true musician shouldn't be playing it or shouldn't play it the way they think. They, they should be playing it the way that it's presented. So it's like, 
it's like building a house. If the closet, if you don't tell the carpenter how big the closet is, how are they going to build the closet? You know, everything fits in your head in a certain way. And the only way a musician is going to understand that is if you score it out specifically. Um, and this is why Logic, linking Finale and Logic, linking your notation software with your your DAW workstation, um, helps you further hear how those changes, how those dynamic markings affect the score, and then you can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until you finally have a score that's like reproducible. Because as much fun as it is sharing these demos of Logic MIDI, um, at the end of the day, it's never going to be a real string quartet. I think that if you were writing for symphonic music, where you, it's like 16 violin ones and seven, you know, it, it, multiple in, of the same instrument playing the same line, you get away a lot more. You can use, you can go for the big dogs like Spitfire Audio, get some plugins and, and call it a day. I write chamber music. I write... <laughs> <laughs> for for single instruments, so so you can't you, you, you can't really get away with that. So so with that, I'm going to start to delve into the more technical aspect of how I did this. And just as a preface, the reason I'm explaining this is because no one else explained this online. I scoured the interweb trying to figure out how I had a simple situation. I spend an inordinate amount of money on my East-West symphonic sound package, and I want Finale, whose Garretton strings sound like crap. Sorry. I mean, Garretton strings is great for symphonic, but if for chamber music, it's just, it sounds like a squeaky wheel. So, so how did I, my main problem was I want when I put a note in Finale, when I score it out, when I put dynamics in there like staccato, marcato, crescendos, piano, forte, all of those types of things, I want to hear it how it's going to sound as, as realistic as possible. This was not an easy situation. <laughs> so, so I am explaining this because for the one person that listens to this that's in the same boat... Now they too. And, and I will just, I'll jump to the chase. The magic trick is called, if you're using a Mac, because if you're using Windows, I, whatever. But if you're on a Mac, it's called an IAC driver, and it comes pre-installed with your OS operating system. I will get into it in much more detail, but now daddy's going to take a cigarette break. So I'll be right back. And I'm back! This, actually, this little bit is being recorded long, long after what you're about to hear after this. <laughs> so I just wanted to preface. Um, I'm, after I play what it sounds like to have my score with dynamics and expressions and all those fun things and some tweaking done. So I bounce it to an MP3 or slash AIFF file so you guys can hear it. After that, after the end of the song, it is gonna get fucking ridiculous technical. I, I go way, way into the weeds of my actual setup 
and how I configured it to get Finale, my notation software, to talk to Logic. So at this point, if you don't really want to know how that works, you don't want to know what things to click and what stuff to do, and you don't give a fuck what an I, I, an IAC driver is, after you've heard the song, just turn it off. Don't, don't worry about it. I just, I realized after an hour of me rambling that I was like, oh, I didn't even explain any. Because <laughs> originally, I didn't think I'd go so deep and then I would just play the song. But then it got way, way, way crazy. So um, for those that are in the music biz and they're using Logic and they want to like really realize a score, I, I encourage you to keep listening. I just, if anyone is getting this, just, I don't know why you would be listening to this, but you know what I mean. Don't, don't worry. After the song's over, just chill out. Just, just, uh, I have a couple podcasts I enjoy, like the West Wing Weekly. Um, I'm about to listen to Justin Trudeau speak on it, which is amazing. All right. Anyway, so I just wanted to preface so you don't rake me over the coals. Um, but at the same time, it's important because I want people to learn what I learned in setting this up because holy shit, there's no information on how to do it. So, so just want to throw it out there. Um, originally I was going to put a disclaimer, the following will include nudity and obscene language, but then I was like, ah, that's stupid. So, so instead what you're going to hear now is pass four of segment one from the book of Arius. Uh, if you close out after that, um, I love you all so much. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud. If SoundCloud is still around at the point of this recording. <laughs> um, all with T-C-C-R-O-S-S-E-R. That's T-C Crosser. And there you go. Here's the song so far, bitches.
Ah, <laughs> oh, that was a nice little break. Okay. So here we go. Here's the fun part. <clears throat> so, just so everyone is aware, I am on a Mac and I'm double checking. Just, okay. So I'm on a Mac. I'm currently running on the Mac OS Sierra. Um, I'm running Logic Pro X on the latest release, and I'm using Finale 2014. I don't know if... I believe they've already released a new version, but with Finale, it's one of those things where if you get really used to a specific version, it's difficult to want to upgrade because when Finale, whose companies make music, when they make new releases they drastically change a lot of different things and it, it usually ends up negating a lot of any templates or any fancy things you're using so this is only effective for 2014 patch b for finale just so you know and then for my actual strings um the plugin i'm using is the east west quantum leap symphonic orchestra um, I'm on their monthly subscription package. I think that's the only way you can get these now. Um, I think it's like, I pay like 35 bucks a month. And I, I have a lot, I also like my piano and a lot of other awesome, um, samples, uh, that they have available through there. Um, I find like, I've, I've had questions in the past why I went with East West instead of like, other packages like Spitfire Audio, things like that. I went with East West because they're the best at solo instruments. I think, you know, Spitfire is fantastic for <clears throat> multiple instruments, but, but their solo instruments I've always found, it's just not as intuitive. So all of that said, my MIDI interface is using USB. Um, almost everyone nowadays is using the USB interfaces for inter for MIDI, but so I just wanted to throw that out there. So, as <laughs> seventeen episodes into this, everything we've talked about is in Logic. So, so typically what I'm doing is I've got an array of MIDI-enabled keyboards via USB, and I'm using. Basically, uh, when I create a string track, it would be a, how do I describe this? Sorry, guys. Okay, so if it's a cello, um, I have four separate tracks for my cello. One for legato, one for marcato, one for pizzicato, and one for colingo. And I keep it very simple like that. Um, if you look at the East-West availability for solo cello, there's actually like 15 different tracks you could create. But I know that at the end of the day, it's a live cello that will be recording this. So I don't get too in the weeds with it. So I kind of have four basic tracks. And as I'm recording into the MIDI scroll in Logic, where when you record a certain sample, it shows you the MIDI that is extrapolated. And I'll use that and I'll cut, copy and paste into the applicable cello track. So, so if you have one measure of 
two marcados and four legato notes, I kind of cut it out so that it's two separate tracks for that measure. One track only playing the legato, one track only playing the marcado. That's how I do it. I know there are easier ways, but it's kind of, that's just, that's how I, I kind of get her done. Then I take that, <clears throat> and in Logic, when you open a MIDI file, there is a tab that says score. Um, because I quantize at 85%, um, and this is another important thing when working with MIDI. So, so you want to still have a realistic sound, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're aligning it as close to the 8th or 16th note as possible. Um, also in MIDI, I heavily utilize, because I'm a very triplet-heavy player, I'm taking advantage of the triplet creator. <laughs> um, so when you're in the quantize settings of the MIDI file, um, you can select the selection that are to be triplet, and you have the options of, are these eighth note triplets, whole note triplets, quarter note triplets, the full gambit. So, so there is a lot of cleanup I'm doing with the actual MIDI, MIDI file with quantizing itself. And you kind of have to do that to get it all to line up just right to hear it to begin with. Um, this method will not work unless you at least do a cursory cleanup of these recordings in MIDI in Logic Pro X. So let's assume you've done that. Let's assume you've quantized to at least 85%. And for those that don't understand what that means is your percentage is how much is it going to be literally taken? So because I still want a little bit of a human playability feel, I'm going to do 85. So instead of 100% lining it right exactly on the 8th or 16th note marker, it's 85% there. So there's still a little bit of a, just enough, just so I can kind of feel it out. And <clears throat> so then I click on the score tab. And the score tab, it looks like dog shit. It's not... <laughs> not the greatest but what I'll do is I'll select everything hit the score tab um there are and because I don't have the file open it's I'm kind of coming from rote memory on this but there's a couple of settings within the score that you can change so one of the settings is I want to list out every single measure number um I may change the treble and bass clef lines. Um, there's a couple things that your MIDI file doesn't automatically or the actual workspace in Logic that it, it's extrapolating. So, so there is a little bit of cleanup just so I can see the full score. And then I can see exactly what track was marcato, what track was legato, etc. And I kind of use that and then I kind of go to the next step. And so, so in, I'll have my finale open with all of the instrument list, and then I'll have my logic file with the score settings. The other really important part, and this is all setup shit, but if it doesn't get done this way, none of this is gonna work right, or it's just gonna be more complicated. The, the next step is to make sure that the track listing in logic matches the, the instrument listing in finale. 
and that's going to make more sense in a little bit. It has to do with MIDI channel mapping because essentially what we're going to do is after we've put in our score and finale with the shitty sounds, but we're matching it with the realistic sounds and logic, once we start scoring that out, then we want to be able to just solely play everything out of finale and no longer use the crutch of the score you created in logic. So, so you will not be doing any mappings yet, um, and that'll be explained in just a second, but again, the track listing as you want it on the score needs to match the track listing as it's read out in logic. Once you've had that, again, you're looking at the full score, the shitty score tab in Logic, and you're just you're just transcribing that directly into Finale. I know some people use quick entries. I know some people export MIDI files. I'm old school. I like to have the control. Um, it also allows me to see any mistakes I've made. So because when you're working in, in just audio sound of Logic Pro X, you may have made a, a, a mistake that you just didn't hear in the recording. That's why you're kind of keeping these two separate entities. So you're going back and forth, you're kind of scrubbing, you're figuring everything out, you're matching it, um, you're playing it in Logic, and then you're playing it in the shitty version on Finale, and, and you're not worried too much about dynamics yet, and you're not worried too much about any of that. Um, I generally, when I score something, I don't worry at all about any dynamic or expressive marks or anything like the articulations. I, I completely omit those. I, do, I don't worry about them. Um, for more heavy articulations uh, between marcato and legato, I will kind of chicken scratch those in. Like maybe I'll just put one accent on the first beat and then just kind of ride it through until it goes legato again and kind of make a marker. And again, this is gonna make more sense as we progress. So, so at this point, I've got a finale score that's fully scored out that matches as close as possible to the Logic Pro X score that I've created. This is some real fun stuff. <laughs> I told you, nitty gritty baby. Um, so then once I've had that and, and the tonality matches, uh, the notes are right, um, I've made any cleanups or tweaks, this is where the technical issues begin. Um, I'm going to say for the bat, uh, right off the bat, there, there are a lot of fucking ways to do this. And I tried all of them. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to cut straight to the chase of what works. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to save as your logic profile. So the logic file that you have open, you're going to do a save as, as something else. And then you're going to completely delete all of the MIDI. <laughs> Terrifying. But that's why you're doing a save as. Then... In each of your instruments, if you're using the East-West, and I think it's still going to be applicable to any other package, and I'm watching my hands move very wildly as I explain this, you're going to remove all of the additional tracks. So like in the example of a cello, instead of having each track be a different instrument, now you're going to remove that 
and only have one cello MIDI track, and you're going to link it to something called the key switch. So in East-West or any sound package, when you see the list of samples, you have a selection to pull from. You can, you can only do Marcato or Legato and all the, you know, 15 different iterations. In there is a folder called key switch. Go to the key switch. It's one file. It's called master. Um, and that is what you load. And you're going to do that for your cello, your viola, your violin one, your violin two. Um, any instrument that has multiple expressive dynamics like that will have a key switch file. I will explain it, but that's the one you want to choose. So violin one will have the master file for key switch for violin. And violin two will be a duplicate of that. Viola will have the viola key switch master file. Cello will have the master key switch file. And you might be going, well, what the fuck is a key switch? So a key switch is, it's a way of taking all of the 15 different sounding tracks for a cello and tells the system which of those tracks to pick for you. And a key switch is an inaudible note that's either below or above the range of the instrument. So with a cello, if you play C0, that is not a note a cello can actually play. So there is no sample file. But if MIDI has a C0 note, it tells it to switch, to key switch, to this specific track that's mapped to, which means, so if I have C0 hit, and I'm playing a high E, and my C0 is mapped to the Mercado track, then that high E will play a Mercado sound. And it's kind of like, a, think of it like an organ with foot pedals. So how an organ has switch pedals where you can just hold it, you just press it once and it holds it throughout the entire thing until you press something else. Same kind of format. You only have to hit that note once, tells the system, and you kind of go through. So that's great, but you don't want to chalk up your score on finale with a bunch of additional notes that are only to get a for logic to interpret and play the actual accent and expression marker. You don't want to do that. I already, that, that looked like a mess. And then I was reading tutorials about, well, you create hidden stabs that have all of that. No, that's all bullshit. Don't, don't even worry about that. I already went down that road. So, so at least you know. You know what a key switch is. So coming back around, you have a fully realized finale score with no expressive or limited um, articulations. You've got a blank logic file based on the f the the score you did and you've replaced all the multi-track instruments with single track instruments from their key switch files so now what you have to figure out is how do you get there's two problems right away how do i get my midi from finale to stream into logic so it actually can play the logic file that's your first problem. Your second problem, there's three problems actually. <laughs> your second problem is how am I able to notate the key switch notes in Finale so that Logic will play them without having it screw up my score and look like a huge mess? 
And then, and I just realized this because it was another problem. The third problem is I want to be able to record all of this so I can play it back in the future and I can, can now see a more uh, expressive um, articulation marked score so I can play it on my iPhone, on my headphones when I'm smoking a doobie so I can be a little bit more scrupulous about what my selections and notes are. And so, so there are three problems. So the first problem is you got to map your MIDI from Finale into your MIDI in Logic. This is going, it has to be, so there's many ways to do it. There's only one way that works. The first thing that's really important is you cannot map MIDI into Logic if you have your quick, entry system enabled and I don't mean enabled as in the setting but if on your cursor in finale you have a note selected like a quarter hole like you're going to actually input into the score this does not work and this is because finale uses smart synth as a way of interpreting all of this MIDI information it's the only way it allow I don't know why it works this way I think it's a flaw but I think it's also because Finale is hell-bent on forcing you to pay for Garrett and strings. So, so what you need to do is, for me, as I always make sure, I just, this is why you have to enter the full score first. Um, and I'll explain how you go back to make changes to the score. Um, obviously, this is not affected by articulation. It's not affected by page view. It's not affected by dynamic and expression markers. It is only <laughs> it is only because of that that one set instance. So, so in Finale, the first thing you do is you just save your file, and you might even want to save it as a new file just to play it safe. If you're kind of like OCD like me, next thing you do is you go in your Mac, you go to your your utilities. So you go to Applications, Utilities, MIDI Audio Setup. You go to the MIDI audio setup, and then you're going to click on view, and you're going to show the MIDI screen. Because <laughs> it won't be present by default if you've never done this. Then, this is the easy part. You're going to see something on there that's called, you're going to see a MIDI mapping, right? It's going to show you all of the plugins using and communicating with MIDI within your Mac. And right away, you start noticing, oh, shit. The software doesn't handle MIDI. The operating system handles MIDI, and that is accurate. So what you do is you double click on what's called the IAC driver. You double click on it, and the only thing you need to do is you need to make sure that it's online. If it's offline, it's not gonna work because you need it to be online. <laughs> anyway, and you need the IAC driver to be online because the IAC driver is what allows MIDI to crosstalk. So so I the IAC driver is basically a pipeline and it goes, any software application using MIDI through me can now talk to each other. It's a straight through line. So so if I'm if I'm outputting MIDI files in Finale, opens it up per channel so Logic or any other program can see this. It is not discriminate on what software. So this is also important. So if you're trying to listen to things directly from the Play app, 
which is kind of like a east-west version of contact. Um, that's stupid. <laughs> but also, then you're going to have doubling. So, so you only want one software application that's sending MIDI, and you want one software application alone that's receiving MIDI. So you've turned that on. You go back to your finale file, and you need to make absolutely certain you are not in note entry. If you're in note entry and you do this, it will crash your finale. It, it, my finale crashes at least seven or eight times a day because I forget to make these switches, and it's a simple switch. So in finale, you make sure that you're either on just the cursor selection tool or the articulation tool or any other tool, but the notation entry, uh, and then you're from there. Ah, there's doubling. <laughs> Sorry, I started explaining it without having it open, and I was like, "Oh, fucking god, this is I, I can't remember." Ah, so I I took a break, and and I opened my MIDI my finale file. So you go up top to MIDI audio, and then you go to device setup, and then from there you go to MIDI internal speaker setup. And so you click on that little bad boy, and the only thing you want to change is where it says playback two. You're going to change that to MIDI system. It's going to automatically drop down to what's called on your output device for channel one through 16. Um, it's going to just automatically go to IAC driver, and then what if you've created a bus? Um, so just a quick break. So I only needed 16 channels. So I just turned it on. I didn't need to worry about it. If you need multiple, if you need, if you need channels beyond 16, when you're in the IEC driver that you made sure it was online, you just hit the plus key and you create additional buses. So the first bus will be channels 1 through 16. The second bus will be 17 through 32. The third bus can be 33 to 48, etc. That's, it's intuitive. I'm going to assume you're big boys, big girls. You understand it. So playback to MIDI. You're going to make sure the output is IEC driver, whatever bus you're on, which it should just default. And then... <laughs> You're going to click on the checkbox that says Enable Inner Application Ports. After you click this, please wait a couple seconds. Your little spinning wheel is going to turn. If you try to immediately, if you're one of those little clickers that clicks really quick, um, you will crash MIDI. What MIDI needs to do when you enable Inner Application Ports is it, needs, it wakes up and it tells everyone, all right, guys, I have all of these channels, and I'm going to send them to you. And so then when the little spinning wheel stops, then you click on OK. The next step is going back to the MIDI audio up top, the MIDI-audio, and you're going to check finale, play finale through MIDI. And this is intuitive. This makes sense. If you're playing it through audio units, you're playing it through the internal system, which means it's you're not sending out the information. So you're going to check Finale, play Finale through MIDI. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to go to your up top to Window, 
and you're going to click on score manager. And this is just because I'm anal retentive. So you probably don't need to, but I look at my instrument list and it tells you it's sending it to the device IAC, IAC driver and it tells you what channel it's sending to. It's a good reference. If you go there and the IAC driver is not the device and the channel isn't present, you didn't do it right. But again, this is all pretty straightforward. So once you've programmed that and you've saved that, now what you've basically done is you've reconfigured your Finale so that it's gonna just push whatever is in the system, it's gonna push it out. Then you're gonna go back to Logic and you're going to take each one of your MIDI channels. So let's just use Cello as an example. So in my Finale file, it says channel six is the MIDI. So in my logic file, and this is why you want all your tracks to be in the same order as Finale, it's just easier to count out, especially if you're dealing with a 17 instrument ensemble. Having them all disorganized, you can't just go, oh, top is one, bottom is 17. So anyway, so I go to my cello channel, and then when you go to and I'm gonna pause because I need to double check this. And I'm back! <laughs> okay, so when you select your MIDI channel, um, I always leave the little inspector window open. It's, if you look up top, it's the eye with the circle. I have that always on because it's just easier for me to see what I've selected. Um, under track, the track drop down, it says channel. Channel by default is going to say MIDI all. You need to change that channel to the MIDI channel that you're sending in Logic. And what that does is that way through the sea of channels that Finale is sending, you're basically just telling the system, this is the channel. This is what I'm sending to. So now, once you've done that for all of your instrument array, there's one, God, I know this is so fucking crazy. So then there, there's one last thing you need to do. I, I do it as a preference because I myself am very click happy. Create one additional MIDI track, instrument track in Logic, mute it and call it dummy. And then in the channel, just leave it to all. The reason you do this is because when the way logic interfaces with recording and playing back sounds, um, the one that's highlighted has a hierarchical value predominance. So, so it can kind of mess up what you're sending from Finale into logic. So when I'm record enabling all of my tracks, I'm selecting the dummy muted track if that makes sense. So so everything, all these tracks need to be record enabled because that's how sound comes out. You tell Logic that you want to hear this, but you actually select the dummy track that's muted. Just, it just makes your world easier. Just trust me, just do it that way. <laughs> um, okay, so there you go. So now what you have done is you've linked your your finale with your logic. And you can hit, and so from here moving forward, you're gonna be hitting play 
in Finale, and it's going to pump out the audio through Logic. And go ahead and do that now. I'll wait. So you've probably done that now. <laughs> and it sounds, it sounds not as bad as Finale, but because you don't have any dynamics, expressive markers, or articulations in there, things are a little off, right? And that's, that's good news, because that shows you what the power of expression, expressive markers, and dynamic markers, and articulation markers do. So now we, at this point, we're going to pause. And we're unpaused. Uh, I'm realizing in hindsight, this should have been a tutorial video. But I don't want to chalk up my YouTube channel, which is all my art, with a bunch of how-to tutorials and then be known as a YouTube content creator. <laughs> I know, I'm so snarky, but I just don't want to be like this. Like, like I love Twitch, and I love tutorial videos. I just don't want to be that guy. I'm just explaining this because this took me an entire week to figure out, and my boyfriend was getting crazy because he's like, it's like 11 at night, and he's like, dude! <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know, I need to do this. So we've just heard... we. We have just taken over the first big problem. How do I get Finale to talk to Logic? And we have, and there you go. You should pat yourself on your back if you're doing this. That's what you've done. Now we have the second problem. How do I get my, express, my expression and accents and all my little markings and stuff in Finale? How do I get those to play out in Logic? And as I said before, this is using key switches. So... I am only going to speak from the east-west sounds, but again, this should be, you know, this should be something that you can do in contact or anything else. This is where things get a little crazy. So remember when I told you to create one key switch track per track? I didn't lie. I just, I was trying to help you see what was working. What you're actually going to do is you're going to go into <clears throat> the play module via Logic. So in Logic, if you set up your sound and you set it up your audio units, your audio units is going to open a little play. And you're going to see play on your actual, um, your input bar. going to click on the play. And what you're going to do is you're going to add additional instruments. So because we're mapping via MIDI, we want to replicate and map that in play. And you only have to do it once, and I'll explain why. So basically, in the play that is opened, and it's still in the Logic kind of Apple window, then you're going to go ahead and you see in, in your browser menu, you can add multiple instruments. This is where you're going to add all the key switches. So you're going to add, so you should, like if we're using cello as an example, and I just went straight to my cello play, I already see that the key switch file for cello is there. All you're going to do in that left-hand box is you're just going to add instruments. So you're going to add a viola, for my score anyway. You're going to add one for viola. You're going to add one for violin one and violin two. So, and again, it'll ask you, do you want to add or replace? You're going to add. So what you've done is you've created a play setting in one of your tracks that has all the instruments. Then you're going to go to the mixer window 
and or the mixer menu of that play file and you're actually going to tell the system which midi channel goes to which selection so you're going to select your cello track that cello track and you're going to just click on the drop down midi channel and you're going to click like for me it was channel six viola you're going to drop down to channel five so you're kind of replicating your mixer board in your play file and I, if you're like me, a lot of us have never even touched that type of stuff. So it's like, oh shit, um, we're and and we're we're gonna play it out that way. Um, this is gonna be a little bit of a roundabout way, but it'll make more sense when we get to step three. So, so I have one play file where I have all of my instruments all mapped to the individual channels within the play file. In that play file, if you go up to the if you go up to the save feature, you're gonna do save as, and you're gonna save this and you're gonna call it a file name you can remember and it's gonna default into your Apple audio unit preset folder. So there I called mine string quartet. So now you're gonna open your play file for all of your, your other instruments that you've only selected one and you're instead going to on the logic side of your play window, you're gonna click the preset string quartet or whatever you named it. Apple does all the work for you, automatically knows. And it goes, okay, you've already created this preset. I'm gonna pull this preset. So you may be asking yourself, why did you go through all this headache? Well, this is also why we're gonna go back because you're not completely done with it, but I'm just, you're getting everything set up. You're, get, you're getting the game ready, right? So, so then, so now what we have is we have MIDI channels for each track of your MIDI in Logic. And now we've created an audio unit plugin version of Play that knows all of these channels. It's also gonna communicate and grab all these channels, but know what specific instrument and key switch folder it's gonna pull from. Now what you need to do is you need to actually set up your key switches. I'm realizing that this is so fucking long. Okay. <laughs> I'm losing my marbles and you must be too because if if you've gotten to this point in this oh my god, I you are so brave. You are so brave. Okay. So now you have to set up your key switch. So if we're going to stick to cello so if you go to the cello, you're going to see an array of key switch. The thing, the big thing when you go into the actual player menu for cello, you see this big block, this big square block right in the middle, and it's going to be like marcato equals um, C0 or piccato. And it's not as intuitive of that. Um, I'm going to say at that point, that's where there's a lot of excellent tutorials by play on how to map your key switches. So I'm not gonna bore you with that because that if you can find it, you're fine. If I could find it, then you can find it. That All I'm doing is trying to figure out the pipeline to get it from Finale into Logic. So I map my key switches. The other important thing 
is that you want your key switches to match. So the key switches you set up for your cello for the various types, articulations, and expressions have to be the same key switches you do for violins, for violas. So if you've told the system C0 is marcato for cello, you need to tell the system C0 for violin 1, violin 2 are also marcato. So, so just know that before you do anything else stupid like I did, is that the key switch is universal. The key switch has to be universal for all instruments that you're using. Because if you don't do this, Finale doesn't know, you would have to literally create individual tracks for every single instrument that are hidden that play the, you, you have to memorize the key switch note to play for the different expressive markers. That's too much work, that's really stupid. Don't do that. So now that you've mapped this, you go, so, okay, loop around. So, you got all your key switches mapped out, your universal key switches. So cello, viola, violin, all of these have a specific key switch. They're the same, and they correlate to a specific expressive marker, crescendo, um, they, let's see here, the ones I have, I, I didn't go too balls deep, but it's like I have accents. So I have marcato, pizzicato, colango, crescendo, um, I did switch up the piano, like the piano, like soft, the mute. Um, I think I, I, I think I put in about nine universal key switches. I, I know a lot of composers that have similar setups. They have like 32 key switches. I, I, I don't need that. <laughs> I'm lazy. So, so whatever works for you, if you look at it and you go, my scores are only ever going to utilize four specific expressive articulations, then only set up four universal key switches. Again, you can always revamp this. You can always go back. You can always clean it up later, but, but that's the starting point. <clears throat> Once you've set up all your key switches, you want to do a save as on your string quartet setting. So in the play window that opened in Logic, that's where you basically can just do a save as. Save as to replace the string quartet file. At this point, you're probably so fucking exhausted, you're gonna just kill it. So you're just gonna go ahead and kill the session, um, save it obviously, and then reopen it. And when you reopen it, logic is, because it's pulling from a template, it's gonna reload the string quartet file, the preset, so now all of your instruments are gonna have the same exact. If anything went wrong and it didn't, all you have to do is reload that specific play file in each of your tracks. And that, that takes like 30 seconds, you're fine. So now we've got our universal key switches. Oh, and another important thing, I think it goes without saying, fucking write down what your key switches are. Um, I actually went online and I downloaded a, just a simple image that gives you the keyboard like in a vertical view and every MIDI note that corresponds and the numeric value of that because Finale is a bitch. <laughs> so, so now we've got the logic side, we have to go back to the Finale side. And I'm not gonna go too deep into this because there are a lot of great tutorials on this. I will say this. 
when you have an expressive marker, like let's say marcato as an example, the marcato expressive marker, you have to actually tell it what the MIDI values are. The other thing, just so you don't waste your time, is in Finale, you cannot map articulations. You can only map expressive markers. Huge headache. I'm going to explain how you get away with that in just a minute. But, so the first thing you want is you want to know the, the, the actual number value per note. So A0 on your keyboard has a numeric value of 21. A sharp zero has a numeric value of 22. B zero has a numeric value of 23. You get my drift, right? So, so you're just adding up. Add up the numbers, and that's how you kind of figure out your numeric values. So now you know the numeric value of your key switches. So if you picked C zero as your marcato universal, your Marcato, well, there is no C0. If you pick C1 <laughs> as your numeric value, your numeric value is going to be 24. So just remember that. So, so now, because, and this is where you're going to look at your own fucking tutorials, if you go in and you look up an article on how to add um, key switch values to expressive markers, it explains all that. You open the you, you edit your expressive marker, you click on the second tab, and there's gonna be, you're gonna say that you're putting in three digits and there's three separate numbers you put in. Again, you template that by, like for me, I took my keyboard image and I actually wrote out the bottom, my cheat sheet. So 144 value means on, 127 value means mute. That'll make more sense when you actually look at the articles. I, I don't have time. I, it's too much work. So that gets you off on the right foot at least. So now you're like, okay, so now I know where to look. Fin go into Google, go finale, uh, key switch, how to. And there's a ton of articles on it. Um, I've gotten you to this point. So let's use Marcato as a really good example. So Marcato is an accent mark. An accent mark is an articulation. It's not an expression mark. What I did was I custom made an expressive mark that just is an M with a circle around it, and I assigned it the key switch values that are gonna map to logic. So for me, for my Marcato, I created an expressive, marker that's an M with a circle around it, and then I put in all my little information on it. So it's like 144 on, uh, the note value is 24, and the 127 for mute. That'll make more sense when you look at those tutorials, but, but so that's why I set it up. So this is why you use universal key switches. So if I put in an expressive marker of my little M circle on violin one, it tells that channel, channel two, that it needs to play this key switch note, which will in turn turn on that value for you. Same thing with like, if we're gonna go back to the cello. Cello is using the same exact expressive marker. It's telling the system for the cello line, you're gonna hit a key switch value of C1, which will do your marcato. That, <laughs> so you set all of that up, right? 
The only thing I didn't find in the tutorials were just that, was that, you know, for articulations, you need to actually dupe them. You have to add expressive markers. So what I did was I created custom expressive marker, expression markers for everything that was not there. So like any articulations, um, I think it was just articulations were the big one for me. So like accents, um, it was like accents and dashes. Yeah, those were the only two I really had to worry about. But the segment one, as you've heard, has a lot of marcato. So that, that was just a really big headache. So, so what I do is I go in for anything that's going to be an articulation. I have these custom. So now I start plowing through my finale score and adding all these expressive markers. I don't add any expression except for the custom built ones that I don't want present on my score. These are the ones that, act, that logic actually grabs onto. So I add all of my custom expression, and then I'm hitting play and listening to it, and then you're gonna hear, oh shit, okay, now it is going to Marcato. And then I have to add an Arco um, expression marker to tell the system to default back to Legato. Like, you will work that out on your own. But you do all that, and then once you have that in your score, you select everything with the expressive selection tool, and you basically do, um, I use the PC keyboard for my Mac, so it's, for me, it's uh, Alt, you hold down Alt, Open, Apple, Shift, H, and all that does is it hides it. You still see it on your file, but when you print out the score, your custom expressions aren't gonna be there. Again, if you've gotten this far down this, this podcast about this, then these are things you actually really do wanna know. So, so you do that, then you have to make sure to actually add the articulations into the score, even though logic won't hear them, you have to add them into the score or else your musicians at the end of the day aren't gonna see them, or won't see what you, you've done. Um, and if you don't hide your custom expression markers, your musicians will look at your music and go, what is this M with a circle around it mean? <laughs> that was funny, okay. So <clears throat> once you've done that, that is problem two. And with that, I'm gonna take a break. And I'm back! <laughs> All right, I'm definitely gonna add in the introduction about how technical this gets. I'm time traveling, because I need to make sure that none of the people that would listen to this that just are like, oh, I just like to, to hear you speak, or it's, you know, like my grandma. Like, they don't need this, because it's, fuck. okay, so we've just fixed step two. Um, and, and step two was, how do I get my key switches in Finale to be played by Logic? And I give you a very cursory overview, but again, there are a ton of tutorials on how to do key switches in Finale, and there are a ton of tutorials on getting stuff mapped in Logic, but communicating between the two, there is no documentation. In fact, everything I saw, everyone just gave up. Everyone just kind of went, ah, screw it. I, I, you can't do it. I did not give up. So again, the magic trick is custom expressive markers that you hide from score uh, in order to relay those articulations that you can't create key switches for. 
that that's the only real big thing that you need to figure out on that 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 they don't really state in any tutorials i saw so now we get into problem three so at this point all of my stuff is feeding into logic and everything is finally sounding the way it should so at this point and it will take trial and error your key switches you may have made a mistake so again you have to be methodical and you have to go key switch by key switch to make sure you have them configured properly um i actually in i added a measure at the intro of the score that actually hits every single key switch value for every single instrument um just so i could hear everything and isolate and make sure because the, uh, the awesomeness about the setup doing this the other reason why you're mapping a midi channel to a specific track like cello in logic i have six but at the same time my play module has all of the instruments it's so that way you can isolate the sounds you can isolate the sounds but at the same time it's much faster later on so everything I'm doing, even though it seems like the long way, means that you can easily create templates to replicate this in the future. So, so to paraphrase that, you've done all this extra work because when you create a new logic file for a new song, you can literally just load string quartet on its own and you don't have to fucking do like each individual one because everything's being mapped through MIDI anyway in this MIDI channels. It's just it's gonna make your life a lot easier. This also means that now you can use the mixer in Logic to actually add additional like panning, isolation, you can solo tracks, and you wouldn't be able to do that if you only had one track and you were only using the play module to split out your MIDI channels. So I'm trying out there. So now problem three is you wanna actually record this. Let's say trial and error like me, you finally get your expressive markers in, you've been going back and forth, you finally got everything to like the sweet spot. So what I'm seeing on the score is being replicated by logic and now everything is about creative like issues, right? So now it's no longer the program's fault in a score, it's your fucking fault. So if you did a forte, but the forte needs to be a mezzo forte, that's your problem, you just change it real quick. Eh, big no deal. Ain't no big deal, bitch. So, <laughs> so the third thing is you need to create a bus. So, so what you do is on all of your tracks that are going to stereo out, you need to change the output on those that just the one, so anything that has an output of stereo out, which is basically your output mains, um, you wanna change it to a bus. So you just send it to a different bus and you call the bus like record or fun or eat me, you know, whatever, whatever you want. So you, so you create an output bus and then you're gonna create a new audio input that's stereo, but in the input, is where you're gonna select the bus everything goes out to. Now, here's the thing that freaked the shit out of me. It doesn't do what you think it's going to do. It's not going to route the audio directly in live time from your bus channel into your audio channel. It only does it when you're recording. So do not be afraid when you're playing back 
it's just going straight out to your stereo, but it's not. And actually, there was a workaround. So there was there's one extra thing. I think you can do it the way I've described. Because I'm anal retentive, I created two buses. So I created one bus that pulled in everything going to the stereo channel, but then I routed that output to a secondary bus. I only do that because I have a lot of like mastering tools that I actually put in my stereo outs because I actually do mastering on my mains, which I know you're not supposed to do, but I do it because I'm lazy and I'm in a pinch and I want it to sound great, but I don't have time to like bounce it to, you know, <clears throat> a high fidelity two-track audio channel I'm, I'm just mixing and mastering on my own because i'm a chop shop and at the end of the day all of this is getting re-recorded by live instruments anyway so i created a second bus and the second bus is what i threw routed to my um my audio track that i created as an input either way it should work fine so so what happens is is when you because it's not synced like reason used to be synced if anyone ever used reason um you hit record and logic. Please turn off your click track if you have it defaulted to always be on. Um, and then hit play on your finale. It's kind of like back in the day when we were first, because um, <laughs> I'm so fucking old, like when we used to do, we used to still mix to tape. So like we'd have all of our analog tracks on like on like old vinyl tape. And then we would play back and hit record on our like Mark of the Unicorn machine. <laughs> wow, I just had like horrible flashbacks of, of Earthling Recording Studio in San Diego. <laughs> Shit. But it's the same thing. Because the two softwares are communicating, they're not really communicating. So you hit record and logic first, you hit play and finale, and you just let it do its thing. I hope you have a lot of RAM and a good CPU because east-west strings, those they are fucking memory hogs. But because everything has to be record-enabled in order to work, and because you've already split out your channels, you have two added thing for great things that happen. One, now you have an audio file that you can isolate and bounce. So now you have your MP3 of what it sounds like with all of your expressive markers. But also, now all your MIDI information that came from Finale is in your Logic Pro X file. So all the key switch values, all the addition, everything you did now is in Logic. Um, which is awesome, right? So, so although you're always going to want to play everything through Finale, um, at least now you also kind of have a hard-coded copy of everything you heard. So, so that way, for whatever reason, I I like it just because I'm OCD and I like copies of everything just in case the inevitable happens. Um, or if, let's say, a scenario is you're in the studio recording your string instruments, and hopefully they too are using Logic Pro X to record those instruments, which they probably aren't, they're probably using Pro Tools. But if they were using Logic, you can just open the Logic file to look at those. Um, so, so there are some benefits. Um, and that's step three. That, that's... Oh, oh my god. 
So now I'm realizing I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna play the full how it sounds before, and I'm gonna add a little addendum. This is gonna be really long and really tedious. I hope that this helped. I know I didn't explain everything. Find me on social media. Something like this probably is gonna be Twitter is gonna be best. Let's just be honest. But T C C R O S S E R T C Crosser. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, the Facebook, all of that shit. If you have any additional questions or issues with what I've explained, don't hesitate to let me know. I have it working. I have the full setup. It's just there's just so much fucking information and I refuse to make a YouTube video. <laughs> this is why I'm boring you with this. But yeah, j just let me know. and I promise I'll get back to you and I'll tell you what happened. But that's it. Mama's really tired. That Writing music's hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, kids. I'm going to cut it short. My dog's farting in the background and it, it, it's reeking to high hell. I, I got to go. All right. Take care. Love you. Bye.